Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. This week, I am happy to bring you yet another fantastic course from the Commune Library. As you may know, in addition to being a podcast, Commune is also a video course platform featuring a wide range of programs from top teachers on spiritual growth, yoga, meditation, spirituality, functional medicine, nutrition, and social impact. Essentially, everything that you need to be holistically well. This week, you'll be hearing from spiritual leader and U.S. presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson. Her program, Teaching the Teachers, is designed to help yoga and meditation teachers, spiritual leaders, life coaches, and therapists become the best that they can be. Across the course of this program, Marianne shares decades of experience to help teachers discover the deepest version of themselves and effectively offer that wisdom to their students. So over the next five days, we will be releasing the first five parts of Marianne's course. Now, if you want to watch the full video version in all its glory, which includes 10 core lessons plus bonus meditations, transcripts, and reflections, well, I encourage you to go to onecommune.com slash Marianne and sign up for a free trial of Commune membership. That's one, O-N-E, commune.com slash Marianne. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Teaching the Teachers. We will always email you before your free trial is up, but if you continue on to become a Commune member, well, thank you. Our members are the key reason we are able to create and share free content like this. And if you regularly tune into this podcast, I also ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Just tap follow show and leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. And now here's day one where Marianne encourages you to move from dispensing information to allowing your consciousness to be a conduit for transmission. Tune in to days two through five later this week. When my career began, this professional niche didn't even exist. Uh, there were two things that you could do with your life if you wanted to dispense religious or spiritual information. One is that you could be a a religious uh, personage. You could be a clergy person. In fact, my mother kept telling me, your father and I have discussed it and we'll be glad to send you to rabbinical school. Um, so you could do that. Or you could be uh, an academic. You could be, for instance, a professor of comparative religion. I knew that my heart sang um, talking about A Course in Miracles, talking about religious and spiritual information. But I didn't feel that I was supposed to be a clergy person, and I didn't feel that I was supposed to be an academic. So because of those things, I didn't feel that what I was doing would be like a career of any kind. Now, I mention this because of how well it served me. If you don't think there is anything to be ambitious for, you're not ambitious. And ambition gets in the way. Ambition gets in the way of any career on, on a certain level, but it definitely gets in the way of anything having to do with uh, spiritual transmission. And that really is what this course is about. This course is about moving from 
dispensing information to actually allowing your consciousness to be on some level a conduit for transmission. Because, you know, you can learn spiritual information. You know, there are enough books, not only the great spiritual source materials, but now so much of the spiritual source material has been popularized, not just by me and my books, obviously, but by many, many people. And there's some really good material out there. And at this point, most of us have read them, you know, most of us have read the same books, we've listened to the same tapes. But to have this as your life's work, something much more is called for. And so your consciousness is very, very much um, a part of what determines how deeply people can receive information from you. In A Course in Miracles, it says people hear you on the level that you speak from. I also want to mention a line from The Course in Miracles, which is, miracles are everyone's right, but purification is necessary first. So there are two issues here. One is that miracles are everyone's right. The second is that purification is necessary first. A miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. Perception is thought. Thought is the level of cause. The world we experience is the level of effect. So if you really want to change your life, and if you really want to help change someone else's life, you don't want to just address the level of effect. That would be like going up to a screen and trying to change the plot of a movie by manipulating the screen somehow. And obviously, the images do not derive from the screen. The mind is the projector onto the screen. When you change things on the level of cause, then the effects automatically change. A miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love. Those are the only two categories of emotion, according to A Course in Miracles. So all negative emotion, all that is not love, derives from fear. And fear is to love as darkness is to light. Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. So you turn on the light, the darkness automatically disappears. You turn on the love, and the fear automatically disappears. So the miracle is that shift in perception from fear to love. And then when it says, but purification is necessary first, what we have to be purified of is loveless thinking. So the reason a lack of ambition is actually an aid to your work is because ambition is impure. What do I mean by that? Does an embryo have to be ambitious to become a baby? Does an acorn have to become ambitious to become a, 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 an oak tree? Does a bud have to be ambitious to become a flower? No, there is natural programming, which is built into the universe. And the universe here is, think of the universe as the handwriting of God. The embryo is programmed to become a baby. The bud is programmed to become the blossom. The acorn is programmed to become the oak tree. You are programmed. You are already programmed to be the highest level of manifestation that reflects the ultimate, highest, creative possibility for you in this lifetime, which, by the way, is infinite. Now, ambition means you doubt that. So the more your thinking is aligned with God's, the more God can work through you. So to be ambitious is actually to doubt God. 
To be ambitious is saying, I need to walk ahead of God here. I need to make something happen. The spiritual life is not where you're making something happen. The spiritual life is where you're allowing everything to happen. You know, in our society, an image that you hear a lot about success is that you should take the bull by the horns. What a suicidal thing to do. So to be a spiritual teacher or to be anything that is a successful career, you're not trying to take the bull by the horns. And these days, this needs to be said. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I meet people who have, you know, attended a couple of seminars and set themselves up as spiritual teachers and, oh my gosh, think that if you have your marketing right, you can make it happen. This is corrupted thinking. I'm sorry. This is, this is the problem in America today. Um, we, we, it, it's not only ambitious, it's out of integrity. Obviously, anytime you are dispensing any kind of spiritual or religious information, you have a profound responsibility. And, and somebody who is listening to you, somebody who is receiving from you, anything that has to do with spiritual information, they are giving you access to, to their psyche, to a very vulnerable, sacred part of their psyche. You can't mess with that. You're really karmically off to mess with that. Nobody's asking you to know everything. Nobody's asking you to be an avatar, but you have a serious responsibility to be honest, and you have a serious responsibility to be in your own integrity. And your own integrity does have to do with your resisting the impulse for ambition. And once again, this miraculous shift in perception from fear to love in that case means a transition from ambition to inspiration. So as I was saying, I was served by this in the early days of my career. There wasn't anything to be ambitious for. Um, I was excited to be there. When I um, first started reading The Course in Miracles back in the 1970s, I felt moved to go to the, uh, to the apartment in New York City where they were publishing the books. And at that time, I was just going to purchase one. And there's a woman named Judith Scotch. And Judith Scotch is the president of the Foundation for Inner Peace. Um, she really brought The Course in Miracles to the world in terms of its publication. And I met her that day, and she was getting on the elevator, and she was going to Houston, which, interestingly enough, is where I was born and raised. And she was going to talk about A Course in Miracles to a group of people. And I remember my heart leapt and I thought, gosh, what an amazing thing to do with your life, that you just kind of get to go around talking about A Course in Miracles. But once again, there was no reason to think this would be like a career. It, there, was, there was nothing to be ambitious for. And this served me. Now, when my career began, you know, now, you see love everywhere. I, I had some almond butter this morning and on the, on the bottle it says love, you know. And I always smile inside because when I first started, you know, when my first book, A Return to Love, came out and I was standing up in public at this place called the Philosophical Research Society in Los Angeles talking about love. At that time, there had been a book by a man who has since passed named Leo Buscaglio. And I think the book was called Love. But other than that, love wasn't something you discussed 
outside a personal context. I mean, Gandhi did and Dr. King did in these very high philosophical conversations related to something like nonviolence. But it wasn't this like mainstream cultural conversation. It wasn't part of a cultural jargon yet, you know, to talk about love. So at the time it was, it was radical. And I have watched in the arc of my career what in the early days of my career was a conversation that made people in the audience go, wow, I mean, I've never even thought of that before. Those days are so over because now, like I said, we've all read the same books. We've all listened to the same tapes. Now it's more like somebody might say to somebody next to them in the audience, isn't that interesting that you mentioned that? Because that's exactly what we were talking about last night. So remember, whether you are a psychotherapist, whether you are a yoga teacher, whether you are a spiritual teacher or want to be a spiritual teacher, whatever it is, these basic spiritual principles by now are part of mainstream jargon. So the issue of your work doesn't have to do with just your intellectual understanding of these principles. And by the way, that's extremely important, and we're talking about that in another section of this course. But as important as that is the level on which you receive the information, which means the level on which you seek in your own life to practice the principles. Because people subconsciously know everything. Your audience or your clients, whomever, does not expect you to be perfect, but they can tell it when you're trying and they can smell it when you're not. And that kind of grandiosity and, and bogus quality that some people have where I have it and you don't, it's not the zeitgeist of this moment, it's not the impulse of this moment because it's not true. That's not the impulse of the modern teacher. The impulse of the modern teacher is, I'm, I'm delivering this information because probably, probably, not necessarily, but probably, I have been studying it and practicing it a little more time than you have been. And because of the fact that I have been reading it, studying it, practicing it longer, and also whatever work we do, which is work we're talking about in this course, Hopefully, I can, I can dispense it. I can be a conduit and a channel for the information in a way that genuinely transmits it from my heart to yours. Ambition is an interesting concept. In a way, you could say that the universe is ambitious, in that flowers grow, in that babies are born, in that life moves forward. But you might think of it as though, instead of being ambitious yourself, let the universe be ambitious for you. You relax into the space of stillness. You relax into the space of being who you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do, and let the universe take it where the universe wants to take it. Another way of saying that is let, let God take it where God wants to take it. Every, every aspect of the universe is already programmed to go to the next best thing. If you are ambitious with any kind of psychotherapy or any kind of, of, of spiritual teaching, there's a problem there because there's always the potential, there's always the temptation to become transactional, that you're really looking at it as a client. You're really looking at this as a sales, you know, that you want them to come back or whatever. That takes you off. That takes you out of alignment with your power because when you're out of alignment with your innocence, you're out of alignment with your power. Your power lies in your innocence. Your power lies in the fact that you are prepared, you know your material, you know what you're doing, but you're not trying to make something happen. 
Universal wisdom is the water. You're just the faucet. You are not there, whether as a therapist or a teacher, you are not there to generate wisdom. Wisdom comes from the ethers. Wisdom is the, is the mind of God. And all of us are faucets. Think of the house as already wired for electricity. And each of us are lamps. Doesn't matter the shape of the lamp. Doesn't matter the size of the lamp. Doesn't matter the color of the lamp. The sign of the lamp. Anything. What matters is that the lamp is plugged in. And with your thoughts and your correctness, you know, think of it like yoga, that you get your, your position correct. That's what matters. You get your position correct, and then you relax within that space. It's really the same thing, but attitudinally. So you're not there ambitious to make anything happen. You're there to be in this moment and to allow everything to happen. If you are a therapist or if you are a teacher, no matter what your work is, whether you're a coach, no matter what the form is, the most powerful thing you can do, in addition to all the things we're talking about in this course of really knowing your material, which is first and foremost, is to bless the client, the student, whomever they are, the patient, before you go in, before you go into the room, you spend your time in blessing be a very good idea for you to spend, if you can, five minutes. All minds are joined and people can feel subconsciously they know when they've been blessed. Just like you walk into a room and you know when people have been talking stuff about you, you can feel that. You can also feel it when you walk into a room and people wish you well and people want you to win. And that's the greatest gift you can give to your client or to your student that they feel from you, that you really want them to win. Now, if I go into a situation like that and I'm ambitious for my own career, I'm just using you on some level for my win. So you got to decide what you're going to be. And if you're going to really be someone playing this particular work at the deepest, most important level, you're there for their win. Now, remember, there's only one of us here. That's how you're going to win. But you can't say, okay, I'm going to be there for their win in order that I win. It doesn't work that way. Although the Course in Miracles does say that we become generous out of self-interest. Once you know how the universe works, you know that being there for someone else is the same thing as being there for yourself. In The Course in Miracles, it talks about God's psychotherapists. There is an actual pamphlet, which is part of The Course in Miracles material, Psychotherapy, Purpose, Process, and Practice. And in that, it says that the clients has been assigned by the Holy Spirit to the psychotherapist for the ultimate soul growth of the psychotherapist, as much as the psychotherapist has been assigned to the client for their ultimate soul growth. So you enter into it not thinking you're going to dispense this wisdom, but knowing that to the extent to which you hold the space, knowing that you're not the healer, God is the healer. You're holding the space is what the Course in Miracles calls the presence of the alternative. You receive at the level that you are willing to receive. So God is infinite in everyone's life, but the issue is to become practiced at listening and practiced at receiving that which God gives. So you don't go into a psychotherapy session thinking, I'm going to heal this person. In fact, you take everything that you've learned, both psychotherapeutically and spiritually, which becomes very much in many ways 
the same material in many instances of interface. And you don't go in thinking, I'm going to give. Once again, you're the, you're the faucet, you're not the water, but you're going to be empty. You know, this is very, very Eastern in feel. You know, in the Eastern uh, religions, they talk about being an empty rice bowl, right? The Zen mind is the beginner's mind, the empty mind. You empty your mind, you empty your rice bowl so the Tao can fill it. Which also in the New Testament is what Jesus meant when he said, be ye as a little child. And then, of course, in miracles, he says, be as a little child because children know that they don't know. And so they're waiting for adults to explain things to them. We, especially with all you know, our learning, I've learned how to be a therapist. I've learned how to be a teacher. So you go into these situations and you're so loaded down with this almost a burden of information and just wanting to give it. But somehow that leaves out the miracle because it leaves out that point of deep connection out of which healing actually stems. You want to be educated. You want to have your material, but it's kind of like a great actor. You know, you've rehearsed your lines, but man, once it's, once it's the curtain opens, you got to just let it rip. And the same with information as a teacher or as a therapist, your subconscious has it in there. You have to be prepared. You're not winging it. You know, you let God wing it. Interesting wings. Yeah. But your subconscious, the information is in there. So it's an art form of being informed, doing your work, doing your practice, making sure that you yourself seek to practice these things, making sure that you yourself have learned these things, but then to be present in that moment, what the Course in Miracles calls the holy instant with, with the client. Then you will receive levels of intuitive information and insight that book learning alone could not have taught you. This is particularly interesting in today's world because psychotherapy itself as a profession is going through a tremendous revolution. The same way everything is going through a tremendous revolution now. In the 21st century, we are leaving behind the Newtonian model, the mechanistic rationalistic model for life. And we are entering an age when a much more holistic, integrative, sustainable perspective on everything is now in vogue because it's our next evolutionary step. We realize the primacy of consciousness. And consciousness is not just something to be fixed when it's broken. It is something to be, to be purified of all of the false information and false beliefs of the world so that the true shining self can just come forward. And you can call that true shining self the Christ, you can call it the Buddha mind, you can call it the Shekinah, the idea of the true self, the self with a capital S. That is the purpose of psychotherapy, to help the client discover all the impediments to their shining, to help the client discover all the impediments that, that form barriers to the love that otherwise would be there. So psychotherapy is very holy. That's what the psychotherapist is. It is the new priesthood. But the dominant psychotherapeutic paradigm, because it lacks the spiritual dimension, is very limited in its capacity to ultimately heal. And I, I know that you're taking this course, you're watching this program, because you want to hear more of the information, the spiritual information, which can augment the psychotherapeutic information that you already have. But I wanted to take this moment just to talk about the shift that these principles present into the idea, 
into the whole notion of why a psychotherapist is even in the room and what your actual role is. So number one, seek to pray for the person, send your goodwill, send your love before you even enter the room. And what this does is this aligns your mind with the mind of God. The mind of God out of that space, every miracle will flow. You on, on levels that you have no idea, you will be used. And that's, that's the point. You're the faucet, you're not the water. And, and in any kind of teaching, what we want to do is to surrender to God who and what we are to be used for God's purposes. Use my hands, use my feet. And when you're in a, in a psychotherapeutic situation, dear God, fill my mind so that I'll, I'll know how to think about this, my heart, so that this person will feel loved by me. Miracles happen in the presence of compassion and non-judgmental listening. And dear God, tell me what to say, if anything. And sometimes you'll be moved to just listen with compassion. And sometimes you'll feel moved to say something. And sometimes it might even surprise you what it is that you ended up saying. When you found your purpose in terms of what you are doing, I, I feel like that is what I'm curious about because I feel like I'm at a point where I'm praying and meditating about it on a daily basis. But like, apart from the day-to-day -day joy of teaching and serving in that way, how did you find, like, how did you know your greater purpose in this life? I'm so glad you bring this up because it's an, ex an example of the ego's grandiosity that is what we want to avoid. Your purpose is to be the woman that God would have you be in any moment. There is no other purpose. <laughs> there is nothing greater. The Course in Miracles talks about the difference between grandeur and grandiosity. The ego is very grandiose. I have a purpose. It's going to be delivered to me in FedEx someday. Mm -hmm. You know, when did you get on what day? You know, that's the kind of eureka theory of, of transformation. Paul on the road, all of a sudden, eureka. Um, life isn't like that. Um, and, and spirituality isn't like that. There is nothing. I remember um, something I read many years ago when Jane Fonda was married to Tom Hayden. And she said that he had said to her at one point, there is no role you can play that will ever be more interesting than Jane Fonda. <laughs> you know, there's nothing that you'll ever do. This, we all have the same purpose. And that's another thing. From A Course in Miracles perspective, anything that you use to identify yourself that is different than that which you would use to identify anyone else is by definition not the deepest you. You don't have a different purpose than you, than you, than you, than you, or than me. We all have the same purpose, and that's to be the, the faucet for the divine waters to flow through. And you're not the water, you're the faucet. That's exactly the, the kind of thing, it's very sly, the ego is very sly, the ego is very insidious. Those are exactly the kind of thought forms that will actually undermine your work. Because they will make you think, I have a purpose different than yours. I'm a teacher and you're not. Those are the kinds of things which will, it's kind of like in kindergarten, children are not trying to be special. And so they just are. Everybody later, we're all trying to be unique. We're all trying to be special. I have a special purpose. And it undermines. We just look like a poser like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right? So the Course in Miracles says all of the children of God are special and none of the children of God are special. But that which is special about you doesn't come through when you're trying to be special. Mm 
Now, the ego is very insidious. So when you're trying to be special, it's not like you're waking up in the morning and saying, I want to try to be special. These thought forms are very insidious. And today, the problem is that they're in vogue. Mm -hmm. Find your purpose. Find your purpose. There is nothing to, to find. It's be your purpose. Mm -hmm. Because find, it, 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 it sort of implies, I don't have it, but I will find it. It's out there, which is just a sly way that the ego has of keeping you out of the present moment. The only way to be, and there is no higher purpose than being the Alex that God would have you be, which means with the person who's standing in front of you or that you're thinking of, um, am I blessing or am I blaming? Am I there in service or am I there for a get? Is this relational or is this transactional? And, and it's, when I was a little girl, we had these things called pearl necklaces. And pearl necklaces where you got for one holiday a pearl and then for another holiday or your birthday or something. Did you have an pearl necklace? A lot of Jewish women had pearl necklaces. I don't know what that was about. And then, you know, the goal was to ultimately have a string of pearls. That's what every moment is. To be one pearl. Did you get it right this moment? Because if I did, I lived my purpose. There is no, there is no out there. There is no other. All of those things are machinations of the ego to keep us away from the holy instant. So no, my, my purpose was never my, my purpose. I know what my purpose is. You know, I, I actually, yes, it has been revealed to me, my purpose talking to you in this moment. I, I know where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be here. How do I know? Cause I am here. <laughs> That's how you know. And did you feel that way when you were singing? I was young, and I, w and I, I was doing that thing that you do when you're in your 20s, some people do in their 20s, kind of looking for it. But I found The Course in Miracles when I was in my mid-20s, and nothing had ever lit me up. Um, when I first saw The Course in Miracles, they were being published out of an apartment at the Beresford apartment building on Central Park West. One of you was talking about oh, yeah. <clears throat> right there by the Museum of Natural History. And I'd been told that you could get the book there. And I went and I met uh, Judith Scotch and um, uh, Robert Scotch who were publishing it. And I, she was leaving right away. And interestingly enough, she was on her way to Houston, which is where I was born and raised. And she was going to talk to a bunch of people about The Course in Miracles. And I remember thinking, um, I remember thinking, what an amazing thing to do with your life, that you could just go around talking about A Course in Miracles. And then I remember when I was reading it one night, um, having a burst of, and saying to my, to my then boyfriend, I think I could explain this to my generation. I do remember having that moment. But, that, even there, you can have a sense, and we all do have those moments, but that's no guarantee it's going to happen if you don't do the work to embody it. It's very impersonal. The Course in Miracles says each of us has a highly individualized curriculum. And so whoever you're talking to, whoever you're with, whatever circumstances you're in, that's it. That's perfect for you to learn that which is yours to learn. It's either an area where you're already doing it pretty well and you can 
you can get better or an area where you know that the last time this came around you didn't play it so well and you're having an opportunity to do it again. I also think, and um, I don't know how old you are, but I think that there is uh, a tendency, the younger we are, uh, to kind of wonder what it's going to be like later, when it's going to happen. And when you're older, you look back at that and just, God, I wish I had just relaxed <laughs> and known <clears throat> there is nothing more wonderful when you're in youthful years than to enjoy being youthful. I look back at my 20s and I think of the fact that there was a lot of time just listening to music, being free. There were no children yet. There were no um, heavy-duty responsibilities yet. Those are important years. The 20s are so important because you're not, you don't have all, a lot of the burdens of adult responsibility yet uh, that often accrue after. But, but, and yet you're an adult. So you're that, those years of processing are so important. And the fact that everybody's on this like career thing and look how that essentially corporatist capitalist uh, mentality has imposed itself onto the higher consciousness community. And it is masquerading as something else, finding my purpose. It's not what it appears to be. It's really saying, you know, ambition, succeeding, masquerading as all this holy stuff. Relax. There's no place to go and there's nothing to do. There's just everything to be in this moment. Um, I remember uh, there was um, an album that um, people still listen to. It's one of his greatest, uh, Stevie Wonder, uh, Songs in the Key of Life. And I remember saying, God is the only free psychiatrist known throughout the world for every boy and girl. And I remember thinking, and and I realize it now, that Every night, you know, just to go over your day, how'd I play it? You know, we are, we spend time wondering what's going to happen later when really, how'd you do today? You know, um, once you realize everybody is Jesus in drag, everybody is God in drag, everybody. And, and you know, none of us are perfect, except those who are. Um, but for most of us, uh, really going over the curriculum, the people who are in your life. You know, if I, if I were to look at my own life and, and like, what are your relationship issues? One of my biggest relationship issues has been that I got there late. I didn't realize what I had in front of me. And by the time I realized it, often the other person was like, <laughs> I waited long enough. And I did this with cities too, environments, with jobs, where I just didn't appreciate opportunities, professional opportunities, where really I didn't realize what was being offered me. And so I didn't live fully. I didn't inhabit the moment. I didn't rise to the occasion. And the ego mind has a way of saying, I, I, don't, I haven't judged whether or not this is the moment to rise to. And only later you realize it wasn't more of a moment because you didn't rise to it. So if you, if you make the, your goal rising to the occasion in whatever the moment is, every situation, every relationship, and of course the miracle says every situation is a relationship, carries with it unlimited potential to take you places. That's why the prayer is always with any situation, with any relationship, may this be lifted to its highest level of divine right order. Divine right order means the highest level of creative possibility, manifesting creative possibility that is infinite for all living things, past, present, and future. You can't be living in that and trying to figure out what's going to happen later at the same time. And when you are living in that, you're living your purpose. 
And however old you are is perfect. You know, age is like, um, there's like, imagine a huge mansion and it has many different rooms. And I, I see age as every age, every decade is like a different room in the house. And every room is amazing and interesting. And the key is to be in the room you're in, not just thinking about the room you used to be in that you can't go back to anymore or the room that you will be in later that you can't get to yet. And so this issue of inhabiting the present, knowing in ways that you won't be able to see until later, this is perfect for what you need and what you need to learn. Does that make sense? Thanks a lot for listening to this excerpt from Marianne Williamson's course on Teaching the Teachers. If you want to watch all 10 days of this course, plus access bonus meditations, transcripts, and reflections, well, go to onecommune.com slash Marianne and sign up for a free trial of commune membership. That's one, O-N-E, commune.com slash Marianne. There you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including the full-length version of Teaching the Teachers. Okay, well, feel free to email me with any suggestions and criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. That's all from the Commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.